Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Welcome, everybody, to the house of God. Mm. Where do I start? Well, I'm full of joy because of Jesus Christ, and also because my daughter is here. Uh, they fill up a whole row to, of my grandkids. And I went to every one of them, and I asked them if they were praying for me, and they said yes. One of them struggled a little bit, but I said, well, you can pray for me right now. So he did. I won't mention the name. But um, I am pleased that my daughter has been homeschooling for a long time, and she's done a fabulous job. She, don't, she doesn't only teach the secular part like arithmetic and all that stuff that I forgot, but she teaches the Word of God to them. Matter of fact, my oldest grandson is, he knows more Bible. He has memorized more Bible than I have. And I don't say that, you know, to boast about my family, but God has been good. Oh, that's all I can say. Corona Vida, for those of you who understand Spanish, you know what I'm talking about. But for those of you that don't understand the heavenly language, it's crown of life. Crown of life. Zechariah 9.16 to start with. The Lord their God will save his people on, the, on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Father, we go to you in the name of Jesus to thank you for your word. To thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. To all the disciples that you were leaving, but you, won't, you weren't going to leave them orphans. You would send the helper, the Holy Spirit. God, this morning I pray that you may anoint us all with your spirit. We pray that your Holy Ghost may begin to cultivate that soil to receive that precious word in our hearts. And in time it will germinate and, and sprout and bear much fruit. We thank you ahead of time for your word. And I pray that you may use me only as a vessel to speak your word. And that I may hide behind Jesus Christ, that he may be exalted. Because he deserves all the honor and all the glory and all of our attention. In the name of Jesus, amen. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why this scripture still applies to us. Because if he was a shepherd to those people, the Israelites, 
He is the shepherd of this flock. How many of you are kind of sick and tired of hearing of uh, coronavirus or COVID-19? Yeah? Well, I promise that I won't dwell too much on it, but I will use it as, as, a, a, as an introduction to start the message. One of the things my wife and I had in our bucket list, but I still don't know what a bucket list is, but that's what everybody says. And so, it was to go to Israel, to the promised land. And on March the 6th, that, was, that took place. God allowed us to go. He made, made it possible. And so, we were excited. And we went over there, had a good time to visit the Holy Land. That was on March the 6th. And... You know, we had a lot of fun. We, we saw those places where Jesus walked and preached in the Sea of Galilee, where all those miracles took place. And, man, now we were just feeling the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't have to go over there to feel it, right? But I tell you what, it was just, like, so vivid. And, and when we were in, in the Sea of Galilee, we, this brother was testifying and singing, and I look out in the water and man, I could imagine what the disciples saw when Jesus appeared, walking on water. It was tremendous. And a day before we were supposed to come back, um, they told us that we needed to get out of Israel quick because uh, it was necessary. And so we had to go through a lot of paperwork because we were supposed to uh, going to Turkey from their flight to the United States. But Israel is very strict. And they were about to close those borders. And so thank God for Brother Brent. Man, he helped us fill out that paperwork. You know, he's a, a guru on that computer. And so we did it. We flew, I think, to Turkey. And we spent a day there and a night there. And the next day, to make a long story short, we flew into... Uh, Houston to find a long line just to go through customs. And we have heard a little bit about this coronavirus already, but we didn't know the whole totality of it. And so we are walking in there and they put that little line on our forehead and, and uh, we were okay. They let us come in. And so we load up on that charter and, and it was real late at night and we got here to San Antonio in the wee hours of the morning, and uh, I was ready to come home. But when we left, everything was normal. And we could see that there was something strange around here. But we were so tired, we hit the sack. By the way, we're not going to go out of the country anymore, because the last time we did, everything went haywire. Well, the next day, we got up, and we turned on the news, and man, I was perplexed. They showed uh, Sam with a long line. And I said, what's going on? And I looked at the pantry. We had probably enough food for a couple of weeks. And, and then they were saying what really, really got to me was, what's this about toilet paper? 
are we running out of trees or what? You know? And I asked my wife, what's going on? I mean, people are not buying food. They're buying toilet paper. And they're out. So I sent my wife, said, you go to Costco and I go to Sam's. And we got the toilet paper. Where they were out by the time we got there. But we had plenty of ammunition for at least a month at home. So we were okay. But now in reference to the scriptures, as God's people, what should be our behavior through these times of coronavirus? Matthew 5.13 says that we are supposed to be the salt of the world. Verse 14 says that we're supposed to be the light of the world. And we just read that we should shine like jewels of a crown. This is the time that we shine, not for us, but for Jesus Christ. And if there's been a time that we need to get busy with the gospel, is right now. Because people are looking they're confused. What should be our attitude? A couple of weeks ago, oh, not a couple, about three weeks ago, I, I found out I need to come up with a Spanish message for, for the Spanish people. And I got up Monday morning, and I tell you, they I don't know if you ever felt like me, but I felt dry. Nothing was coming. I said, Lord, help me out. And nothing was coming. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go for a walk. And I walked four miles. So it's going to take four hours to finish this sermon, okay? So, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I started walking, and I could see people coming my way. This, this man is walking towards me. He looks at me. He stops, and I stop. We're quite a distance. So I said, well, I'm just going to go through and say hi. Well, he crossed the street on the other side. He didn't want to go through me here. <laughs> so anyway, I saw, I started thinking how this coronavirus has changed our world. Not only the secular world, but, world, but the Christians. And I started thinking of all this coronavirus, COVID-19. I said, Lord, you know, why is it happening? And I was just talking to God as I was walking. And um, as I contemplated this pandemic situation, I was impressed by the Holy Spirit that I should dwell in the crown of life. I said, what? Crown of life? Yes. Hmm. So I started getting all these things from God. And I said, Lord, is this my message or what? And so I began to get filled. And I couldn't wait to go back. To start writing them down and looking for scriptures. And making a research on it. Because now... I was, I was praying in Spanish, so he was answering in Spanish. Good. He was answering in Spanish. So I wrote the whole thing 
And I spent a lot of time on it in Spanish. And I said to myself, you know, this is good food. I wish I could share it with my English-speaking brothers and sisters. But I'm going to speak, I'm going to do it in Spanish. It was still a little raw. And so normally, I, the system is pastor preaches in English, and I take like a day and a half to translate it to Spanish. Because when I go to Google, I don't know which Spanish, I don't understand it. They got Castilian, and I grew up in Texas. It's Tex-Mix, right? For example, for, 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 for bus, we say boss. And you, you all say, guagua? Well, it's even worse, man. We're Puerto Rican, say guagua. I say guagua. When I think of guagua, I think of a dog barking after me. Erase that, erase that. What is a crown anyway? What does it represent or stand for? A crown is traditionally symbolic form of a head adornment worn by the monarch or by a deity as distinct from a hat for whom the crown traditionally represents power, legitimacy, victory, triumph, honor, glory, and so on. But in Christianity, it represents immortality, righteousness, and resurrection. When we think of a crown, we normally think of an earthly crown. I normally think of the royal family from England. And as a man, how would, I would like to one day wear that crown. But first of all, I don't have the right accent. I'm not the right color. <laughs> and I was talking to myself, plus you almost have to be born into that family to ever wear a crown. John 3.3 was talking to Nicodemus, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The church of Jesus Christ is the royal family of God. And we all are born into it, and we have all the privileges to the crown of life only because of him. The crown of thorns is the first crown that came into my mind when I was walking. Of all the crowns, the crown of thorns. And it took me to Matthew 27, 28, and 29. And it says, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted, a, uh, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And don't, just, don't think that they just placed it. I think they pushed it down in a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him and saying, Hail, King Jesus of the Jews. They mocked him. I got to have my security blanket, okay, right here. So it was a mockery. Jesus took that 
for us. The crown of thorns denotes sin, pain, and suffering. The thorn is one of the oldest symbols of the history of mankind. It's an emblem also of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. About 2,000 years ago, our Lord suffered pain, dishonor, shame, and rejection for us on that crown of Calvary. On that cross of Calvary, sorry. The thorn represents sin caused by the destructive desires of the flesh. And I got news to you. I haven't gotten rid of this flesh yet. Wakes up with me every day. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men that wrote most of the New Testament, empowered by the Holy Ghost, wrote most of the New Testament. He found himself suffering with a thorn in his flesh. Second Corinthians 12, 7. Said because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now you know why, right? If this man struggled with the desires of the flesh, the thorns of the flesh, then I can say almost with a doubt that we all struggle. I can say I do. The works of the flesh, they can cause thorns in our lives. In reference, I'm going to use this as a reference, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. We find a list of these works of the flesh, which I call them thorns, of the flesh. When I said to myself, I guess the Lord was hearing me, said I wish, I wish I can preach this in English. And uh, God showed up. Pastor Doug came to me and says, would you like to preach one of these Sundays while I'm gone? Pastor Doug is not God, but he was a messenger. And I said in me, I didn't tell him, sir, if that's what you want me to. I said, thank you, God. You answer my prayer. Amen? That's the way God works. So three weeks ago, I got prepared to deliver this to the Spanish. It was still a little raw because I had just gotten it and I did as much as I could. But I decided I like to use illustrations. So I decided to go hunting for cactuses. And I couldn't find that cactus. I drove 12 miles by the time I found one. In Texas, can you believe that? Is everybody eating cactus or what? And I finally found one that was about dying, but I said, well, this is going to have to do it. And I parked on the side of the road, and I didn't take the proper tools, so I did the best I could. 
took out those things and went home. Told my wife, you know, look what I got. You're going to use that, yeah? Yeah, I'm going to use this. But I tell you what, cactuses have thorns in it, and they can sting you, and they can hurt. Now, um, go and put that cactus picture up there so they can see this. Oh, yeah, kind of look like that. And I did the best I could. Well, my, my wife spent most of the evening trying to plug them out, the little ones that you couldn't see with the eye. They hurt. And she, she got a tweezers, and she started plugging them out, and, and I was hurting, but she did a good job, well, sort of, because about a week later, I found a couple of them still in my finger, because they started to hurt, like they, they were getting bad. So I got smart. Now I have a picture. All right, I'm slow, but I'll get there. I want to tell you that I grew up as a kid in the farm, and that was one of my jobs, is to go get those things and with a razor blade shave all those. Now, they were a little more tender than that. Maybe they didn't have the big ones, but they had thorns. But my aunt would send me to go and shave these things off, and I was an expert then because I don't remember getting plugged like that that many times. So... My aunt would send me so she could make this great dish. Nopales de la Mexicana. Ooh. We had nopales with egg. We had nopales de la Mexicana. And we had just nopales at times. But we got fed. And she, godly woman, she was a great cook. To this day, and I'm going to challenge some of the ladies here, I haven't found a dish like the one she made. It was so good. And when I was cutting those things, I could almost taste them. And but we also, in the wintertime or during the drought, we would go out and torch these plants, these cactus plants, and we go, and we'll clean out all those Ugly thorns, and the cows loved it. You see the cow there? They're eating cactus. The man on the left is not me, but it was somebody burning those things. And they loved it. They couldn't eat them um, when they had thorns. So once we cleaned them out, I mean, they, they love it. And I love to watch them because, man, I would, oh, when it was my, my, my mouth got watery and the foam coming out of the mouth. Now, there were some cows that tried, and I would see them with thorns in the side of their lips, you know. They were not too smart. But they'll learn, like Pastor Richard, right? So I came up. The Lord gave me four thorns to go through from the crown of thorns, uh, thorn number one. I know I talked about this when I did the little foxes that destroy the vine. But this is what God gave me again. Maybe we didn't get it the first time. 
the works of the flesh, pride. This pride is the father of all thorns here. A proud person says, I am the great I am. I don't need no one. I don't need anyone. I don't need the church. I don't need anybody. I can help myself. I am self-sufficient. The selfish person thinks he's the greatest. This is, the one that's behind this is the father of all sins, Satan himself. Who tried to be greater than God. What a fool. Then sin had many babies after that. And we're going to touch three of them. But Psalms 53, 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt in their ways or vile. There is no one who does good. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, there, there is good pride. Is there a good pride? Yeah, there is. Proud of your work, proud of your family, but not in the wrong way. Because every time you say it in the wrong day, wrong way, something happens to your family to make sure how you use it. Like I said, I can say I'm proud of my, of my daughter, but it's not in a selfish way because I love her. For every thorn, for every sin of the flesh, God has the fruit of the Spirit. So to combat this one, it'll be humility, humbleness. That's how you combat it. Now, actually, God was speaking to me, and I'm just sharing it with you, okay? That'll be good. So let's go from there. To thorn number two. Hate and anger. I think hate and anger can be good too. God can get angry. You know that, right? And he hates some things that we do. So we need to hate those things that God hates. And we need to get angry at some of the things he gets angry at. But I'm talking about the bad anger. I remember when I worked for McLean, there was a lot of pressure and there was a lot of, and I'd come in the door, and my wife says, why are you mad? I don't know. I'm just mad. We don't even know why we're mad. And the wife doesn't know either. But it can kill you. I think I have a picture of uh, Brother Port. Or the porcupine. You can't get close because they'll throw these darts at you. A little, one of those little ones you can't see. Words. Who? And they sting. So nobody wants to get close to those. I wouldn't get close to the thing, would you? No. The kids don't want to be around you. Your friends. 
because you're always throwing those little needles at them. You're always throwing those little thorns. And they get tired of it. There's a room, maybe at a party function, at a church function. And then somebody walks in like, no, I can't stand that person. And you use a little word, just a little word. You throw it in the air. And that person knows it's for them. They have good discernment. As a thorn enters into the flesh and works itself deeper and festers there, causing intolerable pain and can only with great difficulty be extracted from it. So, so it is with the stabbing words of sarcasm. It pierces deep into the heart and festers there. The Bible says in, in the Proverbs says, a broken, a, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and a contagious or like the bars of the castle. Hebrews 6, 8 says, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burnt. That land represents people, not dirt. It's talking about people if you read the whole context. So what's the antidote, brother Richard, so we can move on? Okay. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. People say the fruits of the Spirit. No, fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit with all those ingredients. And if you look at the Bible, it doesn't ever say it's fruits. Because if it says fruits, you're going to pick the ones you like. So when you bite an apple, you bite into all those ingredients, whether you like it or not, the Holy Ghost just boom. And you don't have a choice to pick. You either are or you're not. Four number three, jealousy and competition. Those two can be good too. You mess with my wife, she's my wife, you know. I love her. You can't have her. That's good jealousy. No, I don't get jealous. That means you don't love her. God gets jealous when we flirt with the devil because we belong to him. Don't flirt with the devil. <sighs> Competition. We men, we were built to be competitors. If you ever watch Pastor Doug play softball? He's there, he's there to win, buddy. Get out of my way. And I do stay out of his way. This is good, isn't it? Oh, this can happen with the family at work, in church, etc. The church, we always compare people. We say, man, this pastor preaches better than the other one. And is that, or you say, man, I wish Pastor Richard would would pray like or, or preach like Billy Graham. 
Hello, there's only one Billy Graham. <laughs> God uses us according to our personality. Some people are just quiet, but they preach the word. Me, I like to get excited when I talk about Jesus. That doesn't make me better than nobody else. That's me. Okay? And I'm happy how God made me. And so, um, well, Pastor Todd, he's very organized, and his words are clearer than mine. Mine have a bad accent sometimes, but I like the way he preaches because he brings it all to light, and, and he's all prepared, and even when he talks. But you know, when, when we talk at the office, he's that way too. You know, he, he's himself. Now, Pastor Doug, he's, he's a great preacher. He can memorize where I can't remember. I can't remember yesterday, but he memorizes a lot of stuff. And I looked up to him and I said, look, I could never fit into his shoes, literally. Right? But I'll tell you one time, because we kid around a lot, me and Pastor, and I told Pastor, you know what? With your brains and my good looks, we make a good pastor. Okay, Pastor, what's the antidote so we can move on and I don't get in trouble? Kindness, brotherly kindness, and respect. Respect is a glue to all this fruit of the Spirit. It's got a stick. I respect all the pastors. I pray. Are you praying for the pastors? If you're not, please start. Satan doesn't only attack us. He attacks the family. He attacks this and that. And the dog that takes it too. So we need your prayers. Start with Pastor Doug all the way down. Well, I start with my family, my wife and all that. And then I go to the pastors. Thorn number four, and I'll get off this horse of thorns. Gossip, I brought it up with the little foxes, but it came up again in the thorns. Gossip and gospel have one thing in common. They're both contagious. But one is negative and the other one's positive. One is death, and one is life. I want life. I'm not going to go too much on that, but I will tell you that it's the antidote is self-control. Brother Henry, back in the West Side, we call it Controlate Ese. Self-control. Now, self-control is not something you... you it's, it's Self-control comes from the Holy Spirit, not from your DNA. Amen? So we need the Holy Spirit for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. 
and it comes in one package. When you bite into that fruit, you get it all. But I see people say, well, I'm good at this, I'm good at this, but I need to work on this one. Okay, work on it, but it's all in one package. Now, God, give us a wake-up call with Galatians 5.21. It says, I warn you now, as I did before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what kind of scholar do you need that for interpretation? I, with my little puny brain, understood that. And you say, well, that's for the, the world. No, the world, they're already there. They're not going to change until they receive Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be growing in this area of love, of the fruit to combat the flesh. The Bible says that these two are constantly fighting at each other to take control. And who has control? The one you feed the most. The Holy Spirit is like fire that burns all the bad deeds, thorns in our lives. It's about time, church, that we take that torch and start burning those bad deeds, those needles, those thorns in our lives and just, <sighs> I used to like to do that. Man, it was fun. We need to do something about it. Allow the Holy Spirit to burn them. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than, a, than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God has given us all the tools to go to combat. He gave us all the armor that we need to wear. Pastor uh, preached about it. And so... When we walk out, we walk well-armed. But don't forget the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that he would leave, but he would not leave us orphans. So that take us, you know, we can be victorious in life through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. We begin to grow in Christ and mature. To the point that when somebody throws a little, you know, people get, they go back to the, to the cactus, pull one out, and they will inflict you and turn it and leave it there for pain. But you know what you can do? It says, you know, the Lord already took that. I don't have to suffer that pain. And give it to God. From there, we go to the, Victor's crown. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you love Jesus? Say yes. Help me out. When you say amen, yes, we go to a lot quicker. Jesus asked Peter, 
Do you love me? Peter would say, yes. He got tired. He got mad. But Jesus kept asking that. What Jesus was trying to tell him, ask him, he says, do you love my people? Do you love my people? That's what he was trying to say in those words. The way to love God is the way we love people. Now, I know some people like me are really hard to, to love, but you got to love me anyway because both of you need to. Even the pagans love those that love them back. That works. That is a no-brainer. Jesus is trying to change our culture. This is why my, my Hispanic brothers, my white brothers, my black brothers, my whatever kind you are, we can sit together in the same temple and worship God. But when we're not we're, we're not all, are no longer in our culture. We're in the culture of Jesus Christ that brings us all together in one room. And we love everyone because of Jesus Christ. He gives us a, you know, the Bible says here that similarly anyone who competes according to the rules. Nobody likes rules, right? We live by grace. We don't need rules. Hello. I didn't say laws. I said rules. I don't have to wear a mask. Oh, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, so the rules are the fruit of the Spirit. Anything you do is for the love of God and for the love of the people. That's the rules. You've got to play by the rules. You've got to uh, go into the contest, the test. We're here, brothers and sisters, to be tested. Well, the God needs to test us. No, he doesn't need to test us. He already knows who we are. He knows how many hairs you have in your head. He's got them counted. So don't you think he knows all your little sins and your little uh, thorns that are in you, he knows. But the test is for us that we may sell, evaluate ourselves, not other people, ourselves, so that we can get into the Word and let Him change us. Uh, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is there, He wants to change you. So it's time that we let our deeds speak for us. God wants to know if we are or we're not. But most of all, we need to know if we're for real or not. There's no half Christians. You either are or not. A famous pastor said one time that because we talk about goats and stuff, he said, Goats are only good for barbecue. I'm not going to say the name of the pastor. He will do the separation, not us. James 1, 12 says, Blessed is the one who 
perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord had promised to those who love him. John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. He never promised that we wouldn't have problems or afflictions. He says, get behind me. I have overcome the world. In this times of pandemic, we need to um, shine. And we're going through afflictions. We're going through changes. But it's time that we believe in whom we have believed. God Almighty. We need to trust. So how are we supposed to wait for this thing? Isaiah, I'm glad you asked me. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. That can preach. One day, I'd like to bring a preaching on the eagles and the parrots. They're so different. Romans 8, 37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isaiah, well, before we get there, that takes us right into the crown of righteousness. Second Timothy 4, 8 says, Finally, there is laid upon me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. His appearing. Are we waiting for the coming of Christ? Are we looking for the coming of Christ? Yes? This person asked me, okay, brother, I'm confused. What is more important? The waiting or the looking? The Lord gave me the answer right there and then. Not from the Bible. He said, I said, okay, in an airplane, what's more important, the right wing or the left wing? He said, both. Okay, both. So if you're ready, you're looking. If you're looking, you're ready, I hope. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we all like, an un we are, we all like unclean things. And all righteousness or like, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as, as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. This is in comparison to God's righteousness. We could never be more righteous than God. We can't. No, we can be cleansed of the sins, but we're not. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you, that your righteousness and my righteousness cannot take us to heaven. But don't use it as an excuse to sin or to give up. All is it telling you need the righteousness of God, of Jesus Christ, to make it to that place, to make it to that crown. Of life. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It's 
It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. He is our holiness. And he is our redemption. You can't get it no other way. We don't get saved by works. But we do good works because we are saved. It's the other way around. Hey, look at me. I'm doing this for God. God is more interesting, interested in who you are in him than all the work that you do. If you don't do it for God and in God's name, it's in vain. We're in the last page. We might finish in time. I don't know. God is not expecting us to suffer for our sins. Jesus already did that. Okay? But he does expect us to have faith in him. And he does expect for us to be faithful unto death. Revelations 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. The devil has coronavirus. Jesus has the crown of life. One wants to kill people before they come to accepting Jesus Christ as a Savior. That's what Satan wants to do. And we're supposed to hurry up and get them saved before they die. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And to die, we gain. It's a win-win situation with God. But if you die without Jesus, we need to put that in our hearts. If my neighbor dies without Jesus, and I never told him about Christ, The last one, before I go there, I'm going to ask the church, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Let it ring in your mind as we finish with the crown of glory. Last but not least, 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I wouldn't trade that crown for any earthly crown, for all the money in the world, for whatever pleasures. I want that crown. Ever wonder what that crown is going to look like? Oh, I want a crown with more jewels and, and all that. Well, I used to think that, but this, this, this verse kind of bursted my bubble here a little bit. Those the Lord has received, in Isaiah 51, 11, those the Lord has received will, I mean, those that have, have rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sigh will flee away. Oh, what a crown, the everlasting life. The everlasting joy. 
Have you ever experienced that? No, not here on earth. I wish I could tell you that I have served the Lord and, and my, all my 70 years of life, well, I have been joyful. Whew. I don't want to lie to you. There's times that I wanted to run. But the Holy Ghost brought me back. Hey, oh, you're going the wrong way. Because that crown, there will be no more cancer, no more sickness, no more thorns, no more insults. Very few amens. We're going to keep on going. Revelations 19.16 says that one day we're going to see the Lord and on his robe, on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. That's what we want. And I have the music. We're going to finish. If I don't hear amens, I'll finish as soon as I feel, you know, start hearing that music. Woo! I'll tell you what. We're going to beat the Baptists this time. They're not going to eat all the cherry pie, okay? Seriously, King of kings and Lord of lords. But I want to tell you, why did you choose the crown of thorns? And I asked God, why the, he said to me in my spirit, because you could never get to the crown of glory without going through the crown of thorns. You first have to be born into the kingdom. And that crown of glory was triggered by the crown of thorns. And my Jesus Christ. I should have been the one hanging on that cross. Because the penalty for sin is death. And Jesus, sent by the Father to die for us, he said, I'll take his place. We have the greatest privilege as we live on this earth to choose God through Jesus Christ. It's not just to receive the crown of glory or the crown of life or the crown of righteousness. I don't have but an idea of it's going to be, but we don't know the totality of, of being forever joy with Christ. We don't know that yet. Now, we know in glimpses when we're praying and we feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit when we're reading the Word of God, when we're talking to others about Jesus. So that's why the crown of thorns is important because you got to realize that He did it for us so that we can graduate to the crown of glory. The crown of glory. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. 
This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.